please support the show by leaving me a rating on iTunes. Review as well. And also, or I should say, or Patreon, a money gathering website for artists, patreon.com slash your eulogy. Thank you. Hello? Hello, Carolyn, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? I certainly can. I can't remember if you're a Carolyn or a Caroline. Carolyn. And Carolyn was my guest today. Welcome to your eulogy, the podcast where we talk to someone about their life so that we can talk about their death. On this episode, we're going to talk about someone else's death, my friend Carolyn's father, who had early onset Alzheimer's. Carolyn and I actually met in South Korea as ESL teachers, but since much has happened, including the sad thing that I just referenced. Carolyn's out in North Carolina, and last night, she attended an event honoring people who gave their body to science. Her father was one of those people. Here's what she has to say about that. Well, should we do the interview about your dad now? Yeah, sure. I was going to say, um, I almost texted you last night because I did, <laughs> I did get to the event. It was a kind of a thank you event and a dinner, kind of the inauguration of this new program for, it's called the Willed Body Program. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize it until I got there that most people are will bodies still alive. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought that uh, as well. <laughs> it, it is cool. I, I'm I'm inadvertently having this picture of of everyone there, kind of like as if they're ghosts. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, just whatever you need to ask me, ask me. I'm, I'm very happy to share it. It's a, a terrible disease, and I think the more people know about it, it's, it's better for everyone. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, I have an introduction. It goes like this. In 2018, 5.7 million people had Alzheimer's disease in America. Of those 5.7 million, around 200,000 of them were under 65, or as they say, early onset Alzheimer's. Of those 200,000, one of them was my friend Carolyn's dad. As her father's Alzheimer's progressed, Carolyn became one of his caregivers and would post pictures and videos on Facebook for her friends and family to see. I am one of those friends. Just last night, Carolyn attended attended a dinner hosted by High Point University honoring people who donated or will donate their bodies to science. Her father was one of them. On Facebook, she posted a picture of a skull that was on display at the event. And the question I've been wondering ever since, I doubt it is, but was that skull your dad's? <laughs> no, um, actually, no, it wasn't. I don't know how old those skulls were. They were real human skulls, and I, I found it just kind of connecting because a lot of times they don't use real, real bones of humans in education anymore. Real, mm-hmm. um, so it was. It was just kind of a small connection, but no, that was um. That was part of the thing last night that we did go to is that this program is still new. So they are, and it's it's a small, it's a fairly small program. So they, they go through, <laughs> they don't need, 
so many bodies all at the same time. So they, they keep them um, preserved and use them with the different classes that come through. So actually my father will be, um, be um, part of the spring, spring session um, of 2020. Oh, okay. At, at this point, have you kind of decoupled him from his body? So it's not that weird of picturing him like frozen or something? Yeah. You know, I had, really I had. And, um, you know, just the way my family raised us as well, that the body was just a shell, you know, that that sort of thing is, is not what we really value. Um, but I have to say last night I, I did have like this, just this episode of of panic because somewhere in that building my dad was he was there and it was kind of I just hadn't expected that to to happen or to feel that um I think I think we all felt that a little bit just like this really strong desire to see my dad because he was there Mm -hmm. but um so you know and then then you go through that process of a little bit of grief and you're like well it's not really him and so I, I think I, I understand why people want to just, you know, bury or cremate or have that process closed as quickly as possible, um, because it does, I think, leave some pain available <laughs> to happen, especially, I, I mean, not knowing anyone who's gone through this before, I really just didn't know what to expect. Um, we yeah. didn't, you know, you can't really go and view the body, but um, they did say you can go up to the room where he's in the anatomy lab and he's held back inside this thing you can go up to that hallway if you want to so we did go up there and kind of took a breath and um just proceeded with our day when when you were you were talking about that it 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 reminded me i i heard an interview with someone who is a grief counselor and they were talking about ambiguous grief which is the opposite mm. of what you went through. And it sounds like a real nightmare. Um, and so ambiguous grief for people who don't know, that's just like when somebody dies and the body's not recovered or somebody disappears and there is that mm. open-ended question. Um, do you think, and your experience of being a, a caregiver to, to your father is kind of the opposite where, Actually, I have a quote from you that kind of says this well. You wrote on Facebook, When you live with and care for someone dying, death isn't an unhappy ending. It's just the end. Death becomes your daily routine. You laugh about sometimes or you cry, but you don't fear it because it's part of your life now. Does that still resonate? Yeah. I I think that really does. Like, It's hard to describe because I think of a lot of people... You know, once a death happens, there's that grief and mourning. But when you are with someone and, and you know they're dying, you know, for six years, and then you know in that final six months that you want them to not be in the place that they are, that that death really is, it's not like, oh, this is so sad now. It's like, this has been sad for a really long time. This now is the end of it. It's time to, you know, and, and I think it's probably different for everyone, but I think people who do live with someone especially with pain and just you know that that long drawn out death that that really death is is not that thing to fear it's that thing to to know that it's over now and that it's going to be okay
for my father, it really, he didn't have like, there was no physical complications. I mean, he was very strong, but, but, you know, his balance, his neuron control of his arms and legs. And, and in the end, I think the, for those that do have dementia, advanced dementia, it's, um, a good way to think of it is like with a, with a newborn and they can't quite understand what's happening or why and there's that that fear and that panic and I think really the body once the brain starts failing really those fight or flight instincts are even more pronounced and for my father that that pain was really associated with his fear and his unable to understand the world around him and um just you know after falling several times there's pain and when you're sitting and you can't stand there's pain and when there's um you know you're just unable to communicate a stomach ache or anything like that you just don't know and and so that pain is present and that fear is present and for us that was really the worst yeah and you were really with him all the way to the end, right? You held his hand as he died. Is that correct? Yeah, um, we we decided early on um, financially as well. Alzheimer's is one of the most difficult and financially taxing diseases. Um, not being able to really afford the kind of caregiving that a lot of people do. Um, we decided that we would do that ourselves. Um, my sister and I went through a CNA training course um, just to get a better understanding of end of life care. Um, and we were able to keep him at home um, until the very end. Um, here's a, a possibly insulting question. I'm not sure how to mm -hmm. think about it. Um, so, as Alzheimer's progresses, um, yeah, you know, like you said, the plaques and the tangles start to kind of choke off certain brain cells and parts of the brain die um, and mm -hmm. personalities can change and, and stuff like that. Do you feel like your dad as a individual was slipping away um, or what, what do you think this this kind of transformation was was like? Well, it's really interesting you say that a lot of people that have gone through this um I, I forget where I read it, but I read that, that living with Alzheimer's is is it is mourning the loss of the person you love, but it's also learning to love the person they're becoming. And so my father had several stages, um, you know, one where he was really intact. And, you know, there are always this moments of, of eerie clarity. You just didn't know when it would happen, but sometimes it would just be like uh, he was there and he would say something or do something and you could see it in his eyes and it was for a brief second he was there so there were these moments of of that but also his his stages that he went through um and when you live with someone it's more difficult to see them as stages because it's just a slow change but um you know we had a lot of fun those early years he he did lose <laughs> certain aspects of social normality um, he would uh, hug people in the streets you know he would sing and dance and, and those are good times you know not a lot of 29 year olds at the time I was 29 got to you know walk down the street singing with their their father in the rain holding hands
one thing I wanted to ask you is why um, you wanted to put so much on Facebook. Was it an advocacy thing? You know, or? Well, at first, you know, I don't think people realize people. It was so hard to find anyone my age that had gone through a similar situation. Um, in fact, when I would say that, oh, my father has Alzheimer's, they would be really confused. Um, and they would kind of be like, oh, okay. Um, you know, I thought only old people got that. Or they really had no idea what Alzheimer's actually was or what it meant. Um, and so I probably did that for like two or three years. <laughs> um, and then it came to be a point where I was like, you know, I... People are always asking me, how, how are you? How is your dad? And I'm not really great. <laughs> it's nice to have a phone call, but I'm really not really great with, with face-to-face conversation about those things because it is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that if I wrote about it, I, I could share that experience. Um, and so that, A, hopefully people would <laughs> either stop asking me, oh, how's your dad today? <laughs> But also, you know, that I could share that advocacy and awareness. And then it really did become more about advocacy because people were like, I had no idea that it was this involved. You know, I had no idea that you're staying up all night and sleeping on his floor just to make sure he doesn't fall down in the bathroom because it gets really, really bad. What I mean, you're a very nice, optimistic, maybe not optimistic, but you're a very nice, uh, good-hearted person. Um, but <laughs> was there anything, anything that people say or misunderstand about uh, this disease, people going through it, that like really gets you angry? Um, you know, my only aspect, and I'm fairly passionate about um, inclusivity, like just the the creating of a society where where normal is just expanded um and i think that goes for people that have children with you know um different types of development um issues or autism or some sort of of functioning that that makes them abnormal to what we we consider society's normal standards um and just how beautiful would it be if we were all just a little bit more accepting of weird things because my dad went through some stages where he was always a loving person and that never ceased but his love of stopping strangers and you know wanting to 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 pet little children's heads and and you know hug people and hold their hands and sometimes he would say things and and you know later on as he struggled with aphasia so he would that was a really hard thing for him is he knew what he wanted to say, but he couldn't say it. And so things would come out that made completely no sense. And people would think he was drunk or just really weird. And that really, really, really upset me um, to see that if we could just all be a little bit more kind and understanding how, how wonderful life would be for the people that that care and love people that are just outside of those normal Mm. standards, especially seeing my mom, it was really hard take him out by herself because she was very fearful that she would get in a situation and and she wouldn't be able to um you know explain the situation yeah Uh, and that was really hard for both of them it was hard for me to to just not want to smack people sometimes and just be like 
you know, kindness really doesn't hurt you. Yeah. And I love what you said. And I agree with it. Um, not just because it's, um, it's nice to those who are, are being um, looked down on for veering from normalcy, but it also is, it's a freeing agent for the rest of us. Um, mm-hmm. it, it lets us, you know, realize that the facade that we all put on um, for the sake of living in a society doesn't have to be quite the uh, corset as yeah. we seem to prescribe to. Part of that, the difficulty with that, that social aspect, that was a, a long period for us, several years. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very difficult um, for us, especially being exhausted and tired. And we're all introverts and to be like, okay, let's go out into the big world and be faced with all sorts of, you know, unknowable situations because, you know, my dad really loves that. And so we did it, but it was really, really a struggle for us sometimes. Um, And so we got a therapy dog (laughs) Um, with the whole idea of that. He wasn't really a therapy dog, but he was big and he was white and he was fluffy. He had a little, um, I'll have to send you a picture, but my sister ordered my big 120 pound dog, a little vest. And she, um, sewed on it, um, Alzheimer's emotional support animal. That's so wonderful. And, (laughs) and so people would see it and they would want to pet him, see the Alzheimer's, ask about it. And it became such an easy way to put that stressful situation of knowing how to navigate this interaction. It became quite a beautiful thing. And, And so we had a good year with that. Um, and my dad would hold on to the leash, and the dog was such a good walker, he would just walk right beside my dad. heard people talk about or doctors and scientists talk about just it's like kicking the can down the road if you can find something to treat a symptom that mm-hmm. just just make last long enough for them to die from something else which is kind of morbid. exactly um and it is very morbid but and even now the research right now really ties into that a lot is that um you know, we might never be able to cure it, but let's find out how we can can push it off. But for early onset Alzheimer's, that's a really difficult thing um, to just kind of accept. You know, when you're 51 and diagnosed with a disease that is going to destroy your life and your family, and um, they basically pat you on the back and say, there's nothing we can really do. Yeah. Is that the sound of birds in the background? Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm outside. No, do not apologize for the sound of birds ever. I just wanted to make sure I got it right. It's it's enchanting. Um, yeah. Part of a normal episode on, on this show, uh, which is called Your Eulogy, I interview someone and they write like a eulogy for themselves. Um, what did you uh, say uh, at your father's funeral? How did you do that? impossible task of summarizing someone well actually um it's funny that you asked this because we haven't yet um since my father's body was donated 
Um, and, you know, leading up to his death, I, I think you've read some of my, um, my, my posts and the things I've shared, but it was so difficult and so tiring. Um, we were beyond exhausted when he took his last breath, um, all of us. I think we all went and we slept for like 10 hours. Um, you know, we'd been up basically for the six days that it took him to pass once he stopped eating and drinking, um, like every two hours with morphine and, um, you know, medicine for thrush because he developed thrush. A lot of patients and end of life do because of breathing through the mouth. And we were beyond, um, just emotionally and physically tired and, once he did pass that, we just needed some time before we did anything. And I think we all are, were struggling with just making any sort of decision. Um, so deciding a funeral and facing family and just having to go through all of that processes, it was just really too much for us. Um, and I don't think, I, I think we were judged by family that we haven't done that yet. And it's not like we're not going to do it. We really want to honor his memory because we have so much love and memory of him, but just the amount of our lives for these past six years, it was just impossible to, to go forward with that. So we, we tried for a few weeks, months there, and then we just said, it's okay. We're going to take a break and we will plan that and take care of that soon, but not right now. Can I ask you, let's, um, Let's be quiet for 30 seconds. I want to, I think it might be interesting to get um, the sound of those birds. The peepers? Yeah, It's yeah. the peepers now. The peepers have come out. Yeah. Okay. Here, I'll hold my phone out over here. We'll, we'll check in in 30 seconds. recorded this songs years ago back in South Korea when we both taught ESL she had a song that she wrote and sang with her dad when she was taking care of him we didn't use it in part she said she didn't get a recording of it but also you know it's that song was for her and her dad and so it's nice to keep it that way thank you to Carolyn for sharing your experience with us 
My name is Matthew Shaname, and this has been your eulogy. I did the editing and music for this episode. Carolyn wrote the song. I just did an arrangement for it for the thingies for this episode. If you have any questions, email me at youreulogymail at gmail.com. And that's all I've got for now. <laughs>